Our reading for tonight, which will serve as the basis for this evening's sermon, is taken from St. Paul's letter to the congregation in Rome, the eighth chapter, beginning with verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here ends our reading. Dear fellow redeemed who have been purchased and bought back to God by the suffering, death, and resurrection of his only Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God's grace and kindness and compassion are yours to be found in this Savior. Amen. There's a gentleman that lives in England. He's actually Welsh, but his name is Peter James, and he happens to be considered to be one of the top structural engineers for buildings in the world. He's worked on uh, the Parliament up in Canada. He's worked on Windsor Castle. And presently, he and his crew, for the past 18 years, have been working on one of the pyramids in Egypt. Uh, the pyramids are slowly deteriorating, and he's come up with a new theory that has kind of changed how they handle the reconstruction or the preservation of these pyramids. And basically it's this, that the pyramids were made with such precision, mathematical precision, that um, they, they don't adapt well to the, the times when the earth changes and shifts and moves a little bit. And he claims that the pyramid that is lasting the, the best and making it through the best is the one that was most poorly designed because it, it seems to adjust better to all of the changes that come its way. And he's developed a system of using airbags and then steel rods inside of these pyramids to try to preserve them. Some of them date back almost 5,000 years. It's interesting, isn't it, that the, the things that, you know, if you ask people, what's the, what's the longest lasting surviving thing, they would probably say the pyramids. And even they have to be preserved. Even they have to have a structural engineer work on them. This is all because of the consequences of the fall into sin that took place way back in the Garden of Eden so long ago. Paul, in our text, writes about how creation groans. And that is really true. You can, you can actually see it in buildings. You can actually hear it in nature. You can hear the moans of the cattle or the, the squeals of pigs as they're being slaughtered, the crackling of, of trees in the wind or in the brush fires out west as things are starting to burn all around, the rumbling of the thunder, the cracking of the lightning over a prairie. Martin Luther once said that this, this world, this planet that we live on, is similar to an old farmhouse that's creaking in the wind, ready to fall down. You can just get the sense that it's not going to last. And you can see it all around us. Uh, they estimate that between Mankato and a little bit north of St. Peter in the Minnesota River, that there are thousands of dead trees that went down during a tornado about 20 plus years ago. Uh, 
And think of all the deer carcasses that we see in just a small stretch of highway sometimes. So everything in this world, as Paul says, is held in bondage to decay. Isn't that interesting words? Bondage to decay. You get the sense of something shackled. And that's true. Everything in this world is shackled to decaying and falling apart and ultimately dying. And it's, it's like the world itself is trapped in a prison of futility. And even an atheist who studies the laws of thermodynamics has to recognize that what Paul is saying is true, that things are slowly deteriorating. And all of this goes back to one statement that God made to Adam after he brought sin into the world when he said, cursed is the ground because of you. Think of that statement, what that, what that did to history. Cursed is the ground because of you. Because of this disobedience in humanity, our first parents, that's trickled down to us too, because of that disobedience, we have to watch the earth be destroyed too. We have to watch the corruption of the world falling apart all around us. And the simple truth is, and it's sometimes hard for us to face, especially when we're young, but the simple truth is we're all in this same boat of futility of everything that's deteriorating and falling apart. And if you go about your young life without the thought of understanding that ultimately everything in this world is going to come to an end, that's not a very wise way to go about living your life. Every time you take out a dollar bill to buy something, what you buy will deteriorate. And you can see it in the pyramid right on your dollar bill. Stuck it right on there. The oldest lasting thing, and that's even falling apart. So the consequences of this fall are not just on the planet, but on us as well. In fact, Paul says, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean we walk around like, oh, although maybe some days we do, <laughs> putting our masks on, right? Maybe some days we groan a little bit outwardly, but audibly, but, but probably inwardly. There's a groan inside of us. Every time we kind of have to deal with getting sick or every time we feel a disappointment in life, every time maybe a relationship we wanted to work out just didn't quite pan out for us, every time our, uh, a loved one dies and we have to go and go to their funeral, there are many different ways in our lives that we, that we groan inwardly, which is what Paul is talking about. He describes us as the sufferings of this present life. It's just a given. And... As much as we want to push it off, as much as we maybe want to convince ourselves or talk ourselves into thinking, I don't want to think about it like this, well, it's there. It's the reality. So Paul would have us instead take this reality of the world we live in and deal with it instead in the light of God's wonderful mercy and grace for us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. With that in mind, we can look at it a little bit differently, and we can deal with it a little bit differently. He brings up the final day of the world that scripture calls for us the day of redemption. A day of redemption. That means when we're bought back into the perfect, in, into the perfect situation that God had originally intended when he created our first parents. That first Garden of Eden. The day of redemption. When, when everything will, will go back to what God wanted for those who believe in Christ. 
And we've been purchased into this. Redemption is a word that has to do with buying something back. The, the cost of making that happen was the body of God's own son on the cross. And by his death on the cross for each one of us, having faith in that, it will take us back into that perfect world, perfect bodies, perfect life, perfect sensations that all of us groan for and wish that we could have. And that's why Jesus said to his followers, he says it to you, that, that when you think about the final day, when you think about that day happening and when it starts to take place, he says, lift up your heads, your redemption draws near. He doesn't say, go and run in a cave because it's going to fall in on you. No. A believer in him, can. he says, lift up your heads. That means get excited because this is now the beginning of the perfect world God has prepared. And there's a great line. I just want to kind of end with the thought on this, the great line that Paul puts in our text. He says, when that happens, everything that we're going to experience, he says, is not worthy to be compared, or everything bad in this world is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us, the glorious liberty of the children of God. You know, here in America, we think we have freedom and liberty, and we do compared to many in this world, but we still have to deal with the problems of the world and life. Think what it'll be to just have liberty from all of that, all of that being gone because of the work of our Savior. We often think, what's that going to be like? What's heaven going to be like? I was in a van with a bunch of teenagers once, and on their own for about a half hour, they just talked about, what do you think heaven's going to be like? We often think that way. A man by the name of Steckart writes this. When it comes to understanding or trying to understand heaven, he says, there is no like that man can use. Isn't that cool to think that there's nothing in this world that can compare to what we're going to have when we finally have the redemption of our bodies in heaven? So here's, here's what God puts before you in your young life. you got a lot of stuff ahead of you, a lot of future ahead of you, a lot of things you're going to get and so on, but don't live your life for that. Live your life for the one that's coming. That's the one that will last and that will give you real freedom, and there's nothing like it on this world. Amen.